Welcome in listeners to another fabulous episode of Whisper in the Wings. We have two incredible women joining us today. Uh, with us today are the co-directors of Smith Street Stages Measure for Measure, Raquel Chavez and Beth Ann Hopkins. Hello, ladies. Welcome. And thank you so much for joining us. Hi. Thanks. For Hi. Hi. <laughs> This is uh, incredible to speak, uh, be speaking with you about. I mean, it's a classic Shakespeare story, measure for measure. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm excited to hear about what the two of you are doing with this show that's uh, playing later this month in Brooklyn. Um, so to get things kind of going, I, I know it's a classic Shakespeare story. But for those of our listeners who maybe not are not as familiar with it, would, uh, would one of you like to tell us a bit about the show? Sure. Do you want me yeah. to go right, Raquel, or do you want no, to go right ahead? Okay. Um, yeah, it, it is one of uh, the, it is a Shakespeare play that's not as produced as much. Um, it's not Hamlet or Romeo and Juliet. Um, and there's, I think there's a reason for that. I think it's, uh, it's got a lot of complicated issues. It was done a lot more during the Me Too movement. Um, it was brought back, I thought, um, to address um, people in power uh, taking advantage of um people who needed those people in power to get things done um, and were put in awful situations. But the basic storyline, if I can do this, I will do my best. Raquel, feel free to chime in at any point. Okay. Yeah, good luck with that. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> um, uh, because we also have changed Shakespeare's story. Um, we, oh. We've brought out the female storylines to be a lot stronger than they normally are if you were just looking at the text. Um, in fact, fun fun fact is that if you take all the men characters out of the script that's about 102 pages, you get about 18 pages of women dialogue. So we changed that um, because we wanted these women's voices to be heard and we also wanted to see them literally on stage. So we're create, we created um, some uh, some other forms of forms of theater where their stories could be told either just visually or sometimes we have uh, uh, cross-gendered casting and things like that to bring out um, other possible scenarios but I've strayed from my original point which is the storyline um, so the world is in a bit of a disjointed state um the Duke who has been in power for quite some time is kind of losing his grip on how to um, run his government. Um, and because of that, he feels the need to leave. So he basically steps, the first thing we see is the Duke stepping down. Um, and then after that, he brings in someone, someone who is very strict and militaristic to take over the regime. After that, things get really complicated because the person who is put in power starts putting a lot of restrictions on uh, on the society. They, he uh, adds, um, he basically highlights the, the laws that were previously either not as fully implemented or just going to the, like the, the how do we say this? The, uh, just making sure that every T was crossed and every die I was dotted in terms of the law. Um, and specifically, he arrests this 
gentleman named Claudio, who's kind of like the Romeo of our story and everybody loves Romeo, right? Um, so it's kind of absurd that this guy has been arrested. Um, he's been arrested because he's, his girlfriend is pregnant and they're not married. And he's not just arrested, but he's put on death row. So he's kind of the storyline that we follow. And uh, everyone's saying, what are we gonna do? What are we gonna do? And then this guy who's on death, this Romeo character, Claudio, um, says, I have a sister and she has a way with words. She's about to join the nunnery. But I think if you find her, she will be able to speak to these men in authority and convince them that this is the wrong thing to do. So now we meet our heroine, I guess, uh, Isabel, who comes to this newly appointed duke in power his name's angelo and pleads with him to release her brother now is when it gets real complicated <laughs> if you weren't confused already um because this angelo sees isabel and you this man who has been very much in control very much um not worrying about uh, putting people on death row, just doing his job, sees this woman and is completely, like the rug is completely swept out from underneath his feet. He just, I guess you could say falls in love with her, but mostly just wants to take her, wants to have sexual relations with her um, and propositions her in their next scene and says, I will free your brother if you sleep with me. And that's, where and that's kind of where the real uh i think climax of the show comes because she has it has to make this decision the death of her brother or the death of her chastity which is something that's incredibly important um yeah so that's i mean without giving away the ending um that's kind <laughs> of uh that's the teaser of um where we're all left and of course there's a lot of different groups they're the people who are um in Shakespeare's story, there's originally like a brothel that's um, kind of running rampant. And uh, that's one of the first things that Angelo kind of squashes. He tears down all the houses. In our version, we've made, uh, we, we've taken away the idea that these are brothels or or, or houses of uh, um, where, you know, uh, pr uh, prostitutes uh, are. And we've made it um, more of a uh, healthcare services where um certain mm. um places are uh, certain services healthcare services are offered specifically for women uh which we thought was uh something that interested both Raquel and I especially given the current state of the world and where I was about to say it sounds very timely hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so no there's there won't be any any um scantily clad women walking around there will be a lot of nurses um who are just trying to do their jobs um and getting arrested for them and then forced to and then it kind of has a i, I think a, a handmaid's tale turn of events where these people are kind of forced to pick a side um am i going to try to fight the system and keep doing my job and keep helping people who need to, who need help or am i going to join forces with um with Angelo and with his team and 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 with the state um, to implement these laws, which get bloodier and bloodier. 
I love it. And that's one thing I love about Shakespeare is, you know, it's he, his work is, God, 500 years old now, but you can take it and, and, and modernize it and update it and really like apply it to almost any situation, you know? And so I'm excited for this, this interpretation, you know, this modern interpretation, uh, honestly, that, that, that you ladies are putting on. Raquel, let me ask you, what was it like developing this version of the show? Yeah, this, this has been in development for what feels like I think we started really toying with all of the themes and the script and text in um, January of this year. Bethan, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but yeah, so it's been a, a process of just kind of, of like massaging the text, honestly, and like trying to see um, what's there, what possibilities, um, what we're interested in. And we really did from the get go, as Bethan said before, we were really interested in prioritizing the storylines of the women in this play um, and really trying to bring, do, do the deed of, of, of trying to bring those with limited speaking parts to the surface. Um, and I feel like, you know, what that's engendered or what we're rendering is more of an adaptation of this play than just a, uh, than just another production. Um, and we are taking a lot of license uh, liberties with um, who is who these characters are and who there are they are in our story. Um, for instance, there's this character named Juliet um, and she is um, the woman whose pregnancy um, kind of spins all of the events in the play into motion. Um, but in the script, in the text that Shakespeare has, She's just kind of, she's pregnant. She's kind of standing around. Uh, you see her at the prison asking to be let in. And then you don't really hear from her from the rest of the play. And it's one of those, you know, for all those plot watchers out there, um, you know, when you see this play, it's kind of like, well, what happened to the, what happened to the pregnant lady? Like, where I was just thinking that I'm like such a like, pivotal moment. Like, you'd think she'd be more in there. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. You'd think she'd be like, yeah. So it's, it, so we were just kind of like, okay, we need to bring this person into the play more. You know, I think what we like in trying to unravel just like all the different threads and all the different character arcs in this play, because there are so many characters. We, re I think I've realized that like this play could be, a, a could definitely be a limited series um, one day if we really wanted to like go for it. But it, I am interested and we are both interested in, in how we can really highlight these stories. Um, so the process began with a workshop that we did in March. Um, several of the actors that are in the production now were in that workshop. Um, and then since then, we, we were tangling with the script. And then over the summer, when the decision um, to overturn Roe v. Wade was made, it hit all of us really hard needless to say you know we were meditating on this play talking a lot about like sexual violence and talking about justice and talking about mercy and then this decision came out and we were like oh how interesting like a conservative regime comes to power and means to reinstate these old morality laws and superimpose them on a society that is grappling with this 
somewhat elusive separation between church and state and ultimately like limit people's freedom, restrict people's bodies, strip away their bodily autonomy. Uh, this play feels really timely. You know, we're, we're trying to carry those threads in with us throughout. Um, and the last thing I'll say is that a huge part of this play, when we were both, you know, as artists do trying to look towards the light um, when it comes, when we're, you know, in times of great darkness and trauma, and we need to turn towards the light um, culturally, societally. We search for art, we search for things that will inspire us. And one thing that really struck me in particular was seeing all of this footage um, coming out of Latin America of the green wave movement that started in Argentina. And it was a movement, and it is a movement that has now become more of a global phenomenon. But it started with a group of organizers that um, were protesting and demonstrating for abortion access and justice in Argentina. And it started to really catch on like wildfire throughout Latin America and then throughout the world. Um, and just seeing this, the footage of people mobilizing together in like these incredibly massive quantities was just super inspiring and gave me a lot of hope for the future and to to keep fighting for uh, what we know to be ours. And so we wanted to incorporate uh, some degree of protest of demonstration into the actual play. So there is a sort of undercurrent of um, asking questions about what justice is, what the limitations of justice are, who protects us, who um, administers justice, just really a, a lot of stuff going on in this play, <laughs> needless no, to say. No, I love it. I mean, I, you're hitting, both of you, you you both are hitting some really important, timely things that I, I, I think a lot of works have been wanting to hit. And I think this show is the right show to use, the right vessel to use, you know, um, which leads me to my next question. And I'll start with you, Beth Ann. What's the message that you're hoping audiences will take, like walk away with? It's something that we're working on. And I think the thing that I would like people to walk away with is that we are stronger together. These character, the characters in these play are all traumatized to some degree. Um, but the, the thing that will help build us up is when we can re we reach out our hands and, and and hold them and 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 march and i think especially as as women we need to advocate for each other but also that we need the strength of men to support us so what i would like people to leave with is hope in a future where the 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 people can unite and and change um and change and, and, and change the world is that too much <laughs> no 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 i think that's great why can't art change the world why can't it inspire us to change the world and make it a better place i i see no reason why it can't and raquel how about you what's the message that you're hoping that the audience leaves with i want people to feel a sense of mobilization i want people to feel like a sense of empowerment a sense of inspiration to to keep like as 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 theater artists to keep grappling with questions of 
justice, of violence, of, you know, trying to imagine other worlds. You know, I think one of the greatest angles or lenses I think we can use as like political agitators is a surrealist approach to trying to imagine futures that are different that don't look like the future don't look like the present moment so i think the you know i'm hoping that people will feel a sense of congregation coming together in in the theater to witness a demonstration um to witness the tomfoolery of all these characters but i i do hope that people leave with a sense of of just fortitude to keep fighting and to uh unify like beth ann said and um and yeah, keep asking the tough questions, I guess. I love a show that you leave and and the conversation continues. Yeah, absolutely. I think that like, for the most part, um, you know, I think there are some people that um, I've talked to before that are like, I don't want politics in theater. Like, I don't want, I don't want to be fed a sort of didactic, this is what you should believe. We want to teach you how to feel kind of, and I'm not interested in that kind of theater either. I feel I feel like there is a sort of, you know, I hope that people, if people see this and they feel inspired, great. But if they leave this and they feel agitated, then great. You know, like there's a certain degree of like, if if this can, if this can kind of stir in our audiences a sense of, well, how do you want to approach these questions? Like, how do you want to, I think ultimately at the end of the day, we're all accountable for these questions of justice and mercy and change and supporting each other. So I think, I hope, I hope people feel implicated to some degree, um, even if they walk away from it and feel a bit antagonized. If this doesn't promote some, (laughs) some light argumentation at the, uh, at the bar afterwards, I will be very surprised. Um, I, I think people also might have different opinions about uh, about where the, the play ends. You know, it might be very clear to some and someone else might say, well, that's not what I that's not what I got from it. And that's OK. I, yeah. Our, our goal is not to say and this is what we want you to um, leave feeling and everyone is going to feel the same thing, which I think is great, which is exciting. And that promotes conversation and change. Right. Winding down this part of the interview, um, Raquel, I'll start with you on this one. Who do you hope have access to the show? That's a great question. I'm going to have to think about that one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the answer that, like, you know, feels right at the forefront of my brain is just, like, this play feels like it should be for everyone. Um, it should be... It should be there. There is something in it for everyone, but I think, in terms of who should have access to this, I think I think I would like I would like people to. Um, I think ultimately, I I I hope that like women and femmes that come see this show feel to some degree connected to a play that you know, decenters their narratives. 
And I'm hoping that I'm hoping that they feel that type of emotional access to this play. But in terms of like political access, I hope that I hope that it feels like this conver- this play propels people into a conversation or, or to a, a realm of thinking about a Shakespeare show in the context of, of today's world when we're talking about questions about the police and the role of the police in our lives, about carcerality and about uh, punitive justice, those li- the limitations of our institutions to actually keep, keep our people safe um, and, and well. Is is that is that what you mean by access? Yeah, no, no, that that's perfect. That's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bethann, how about you? Who do you hope have access to the show? You know, I I would say people like especially women uh, who love Shakespeare's work. I would love them to see it because I think they will be relieved and pleasantly surprised by the voice that they're given in this play. But in that same breath, I also want men, I want, I want, uh, I want men to see it as well, to see, like, see, see how, see what cross-gender casting can do, see the voices that can be made louder. Don't be afraid of that, you know, have, have, have more diversity in your room, have more women in your room and they will, and, and allow them to speak, listen to them because that when you do, this happens. So, for, for that, I uh, I would really like people who know the work to, to have access to it, um, who are familiar with it. But in that, I also want, and I guess this is pretty uh, general. I, I know we're a little bit preaching to the choir here, um, you know, doing a show in, in, in Brooklyn. But I also want people who may want to challenge these themes, because I think that's the only way that change is actually going to happen. Um, so I, I'd like someone... I'd like people to have access to it who may think that they're not going to agree with it necessarily, but that that, that to go with an open mind, to be willing to uh, watch these themes, maybe with with a fresh set of eyes and an open heart um, so that they might be able to see things a little bit differently. mentioned uh i've talked about before we started recording we not only break shows down and discuss them um but we also like talk about our own personal experiences in the theater um so i want to give our listeners a chance to kind of get to know you guys personally um and ask you a few questions regarding that uh beth ann i want to start with you and ask you what shows in the past have inspired you or do you love uh and i'll also open it up to composers or playwrights as well Great question. Probably the first play that really inspired me was Lear, was King Lear, um, that I, wor- I worked on when I was in college. And that was when I really uh, felt the, the power of the poetry, um, that there were things that could be said in this work that once you understand, um, it just seemed to be this like bottomless pit of beauty that I just couldn't get enough of. So that that was definitely something that was extremely inspiring. And also it was a, a very, um, it was a Suzuki production. So there was a lot of like, oh, you can do anything with this. Um, so it also like kind of opened up my creative brain to the possibility of taking classic work and 
adapting it to uh to, to bring out other themes a good cut of a show can really change it entirely by highlighting certain characters and eliminating others um and i also really liked the simplicity of a beckett uh that was something that i always really loved because of the the because of the words and the staging and the limitations i thought it really brought out like a depth and a beauty that i just wanted to um continually um revisit so the, the, those are probably the ones that, that come to mind but i also really loved the darkness of albi um i remember seeing who's afraid of virginia Woolf for the first time and just being floored by the relationships and the humor combined with the tragedy mm-hmm. i think that's something that i continually seek out not just in uh in classic plays but in like all plays i'm like no there's more here there's more to this there, there, this is this this if this is an old relationship there's there's got to be more to it so the, the 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 digging you know that comes out of of those uh of those relationships i think is is something that i will always kind of try to seek out whether i'm uh directing or acting or um choreographing or wh- wh- whatever role i'm i'm given i just i i want to have those conversations uh with the artists that i'm surrounded by Raquel, how about you? Um, what shows um, have inspired you or playwrights and composers? Do you love? Where, where do you fall on that one? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. I grew up um, a big musical theater nut. Um, I grew up, woohoo! I grew up uh, really loving Bob Fosse. Um, yeah. Just like really like saturated in his sort of like, I don't know, I always kind of like thought of it as like, he he felt like he was doing something really subversive in trying to marry a sort of like death, deathly sexuality. Like, like he, he really, I don't know, there's something so um, twisted about him, um, but, and yet like still like so mainstream. So, I love Pippin, I love Cabaret, I love dancing. Um, I'm a big sweet charity nut as well. Um, so that's kind of where I grew up um, that in that tradition. But then I think, you know, then as many of us do get kind of redirected into away from musical theater into other things, uh, sometimes I, I, um, I feel like the first playwright that I felt like really connected to um, was when I started reading Lorraine Hansberry. I really loved, I did it in grad school. I did the play, uh, The Sign in Sydney Brewstein's Window. And it is was the last play that she wrote. And it is a very imperfect, very flawed, very complicated play, very ambitious. And she she died as the play was just getting its legs in like, I think it was 1963 or 64. And when working on this play, it was so, it was just like, she was, she was just all heart and all like, I, she just really believed in people being able to change. 
I, I, I was lucky enough to go up to the Schomburg Center in Harlem and go to her archives up there and take a look through other drafts of the script and see the notes that she was making when she was writing this play. And she was just an incredible person. And the, the notes in that archive are like so extensive and so mesmerizing. And there are characters that she didn't involved in that play that are in the drafts of the play and scenes that are gorgeous. And I hope somebody picks it up one day and makes it into a mini series because it is like, it is ripe for adaptation for sure. But yeah, just like she, sure, she, you know, was not on this earth for very long. And I, and I, and I long to know like what, where she would have gone, you know, if if she was alive in the late 60s and in the 70s like where where her political compass would have led her would have led us she's a brilliant playwright and i'm glad yes. you brought her name into this yeah uh my next question raquel i'm going to start with you which is have you seen any great theater lately that you might recommend to our listeners yeah um you know, as it goes when you're working on a show, you don't often uh, get out there and see a lot as you're in rehearsals, perhaps. Um, but I, do, I will say over the summer, I, um, you know, just to celebrate a little, uh, I feel like I, I took such joy and pleasure and uh, just like inspiration from Carl Cofield's production of uh, Twelfth Night at Classical Theater of Harlem. Um, it happened, uh, I think that was July, June, mm -hmm. July. And the July, um, yep. Yeah, and it was just absolutely stunning. All of the work that I've seen up there in Marcus Garvey Park has just uh, really blown my mind in terms of like just making people, making theater for a community and really not being afraid to like grapple and reupholster uh, Shakespeare uh, as a genre, uh, but also just like the 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 art direction, the dancing, the the acting. I mean, it was like it was unlike anything I've seen in recent years, and I just wanted to shout out that that production was, uh, in to my mind, just absolutely fantastic. And Twelfth Night is like a play that happens that is produced a lot. And I feel like I learned so much by watching the production. I also like, will really quickly shout out. Um, I'm really excited to see Bloom Bloom Pow. It's a show that just opened recently. It's a queer climate doom play. Um, at, it's going to go up at ART. I got a couple friends in that production. So shout out to Bloom Bloom Pow. Excited to see that show. Amazing. Just jotting that down for my schedule. Yeah. <laughs> Beth Ann, how about you? Any any great shows you've seen lately? Um, well, not similar to Raquel. Um, you know, we've been really busy right now. <laughs> um, but I was able to see, well, I was I was actually able to see Mary Louise Parker do How I Learned to Drive, which yes, um, <laughs> yes and yes. And I never I read it. <laughs> you know many times but I had never seen it so seeing that production was really special and seeing her live it was my first time seeing her live on stage so that was that meant a lot and um for that show to be on Broadway I think it just makes me go yes and the simplicity with which they did it and yeah. yet it was enough it was all it needed to be I really respected that um and I would also add I, I'm always excited to I 
I think BAM Next Wave Festival, I haven't gone in um, since last year, but whenever I'm like, I need to get some inspiration, I go to the BAM Next Wave Festival because the uh, the the dance and physical theater work that they're bringing in from around the globe is inspiring. Um, the, James Thury has been there a few times and whenever he brings the show there, I just stop everything and I just run and I go as many times as I can. So, um, um, I, that will be what I, what I do as soon as I, as soon as the show closes. <laughs> um, but also in that same, uh, neighborhood, I would say, uh, theater for new audience, TFANA, I saw their, um, Merchant of Venice, which I thought was, uh, groundbreaking and, um, daring and brave and I love and talk about conversations that people were having as they leave the theater um I had like left my hat in there so I was like oh no I left my hat so I had to like go through that big staircase back to the theater and then walking back I heard a few people be like well no you can't do that scene like that you know that's not how it's done and I was just like and that's why you have to do it like who wants to do the scene the same way every time like the Jessica Lorenzo relationship which I've worked on before as an actor and had a lot of trouble wrapping my brain around where these characters start middle and end and I thought it solved a lot of the problems that I as an actor like really took on with the with that role and they they solved a lot of things for me. And I was like, oh, okay. So anyway, and just great conversations and beautiful, uh, beautiful, um, talented actors, um, an unlikable Portia, which I had never seen. So um, uh, like, you know, you, you just think, oh, well, she's the lead. You we're all supposed to like love her the whole time. And I had a lot. And uh, so I thought that was kind of daring and bold and, and scary, but in a way that I was just like, I'm in, I'm in, let's go, let's do it. Raquel, back to you. I want to ask you what your favorite part about working in the theater is. Oh, just generally? Yeah. <laughs> I like the ensemble. I like I like being a part of like the collaboration of like having a group of people around just trying to throw paint at the wall and see what sticks. I like the congregatory, like the inherent congregation that happens when we all go to the theater and pay our respects to the to our art gods you know <laughs> with all of our ceremony and ritual of sitting down in a dark place and you know telling stories I love uh I love being challenged and I love being implicated um I feel like the theater as an actor as a director and as an audience member is kind of like it feels like a sacred space to me um and I feel really lucky to be carving out a life that is centered around being a part of theater making oh. in New York, of all places. Yes. How about you, Bethann? What's your favorite part? I love, well, yes, to just say, Raquel, <laughs> all of that. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, and um, to highlight the live event of it all, the fact that it's never the same thing. As much as we like choreograph it and say you have to step here and cross there, and this is when you you do this movement or say this line, it's always a living, breathing mm-hmm. thing. And the only way that it, can, it it should be now. Listen, I have a National Theater at Home subscription. I am very happy that I get to watch some of these some of these amazing shows on 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 my screen because I wouldn't be able to see them otherwise. But the live event, seeing these people experience these things right in front of you, there's nothing like it in the world. Yes. Um, that's my favorite part by far. But I think as an artist in making that work, my favorite part is when it all comes together. Like when you have the costume that it moves the certain way and it fits the actor in the way that you wanted it to fit and the music comes in and uh just in, at just the right time. And it was the right choice. Not that there's ever a right or a wrong choice, but it's just like it, it, it like draws like a chill up your spine in a way that you know that it like achieved the thing that you wanted it to do as a, as a, as a director, or even as like somebody who was like in the show that helped make that moment happen, you know, because I rose my hand at the, the perfect time when the symbols crashed or whatever it was like, just being a part of those really spectacular moments on stage that you know that you'll never forget and most likely if uh that the people who frequent theater the people who go see that or even if they don't frequent theater a lot they'll remember that element of the show even if they don't remember anything else they'll remember when that whole thing came together so I think I love those those uh successes in the theater, it just makes me keep coming back to it, even though it's so hard. It's the hardest thing I've ever done. Oh my gosh. But it's worth it. It's so <laughs> worth it. Like the end product, which I, I think a lot of people just, they grapple with. They're like, why would you put all this effort in for that one moment? And I'm like, that one moment though, I mean, there's nothing in the world that replaces it. Mm-hmm. Um, this leads me to my final question. Uh, Bethann, I want to start with you, which and it's my favorite question to ask, which is what is your favorite theater memory? My favorite theater memory. Before I started Smith Street, I was asked to do a uh, to collaborate on a um a Romeo and Juliet uh, with well, it was supposed to be two actors and then it was three and then it was four. Um, and I was just supposed to be an actor in it. I, and then I ended up <laughs> kind of running the whole thing um, like you do. And I felt like as an actor and as a creator of the piece that things just seemed to make sense for the first time. I was like, oh, I'm not just supposed to be on stage. I'm supposed to also be a part of building something. It's also just happened to be where I met the man who changed my life, who um, I am now married to. (laughs) Um, So there's that, um, that cheesy little bit of something, but yeah. um, And we got to perform, really perform for the first time together on stage, which I felt like I learned what it's like to be honest on stage with someone, like really honest. And I was, and I'd been acting for years at that point, but I felt like that's when I learned what acting is and it was simple it was you know we were just in like jeans and tank tops and like you know had prop swords and it was there's nothing complicated but I'll never forget 
and there was like two shows and people came and I remember, and then they came back the second night. They were like, we couldn't, we, there's only two and they had to come back. And I was just like, there is something special going on right now. And it's not just for me. It's like, it was like collective. Um, so that, that is, that is, I'm going to put that as one of my favorite theater moments. Oh, we love a good theater meet cute. I love that. <laughs> How about you, Raquel? What's your favorite theater memory? The one that comes to mind is, um, I think it's, I think it must have been 2015 or 2016, I think. I was in a production of The Tempest directed by Beth Ann Hopkins. Um, and I was playing Miranda and Kate Ross, this incredible um, actor, was playing Prospero. And we were doing it outside in Carroll Park. And Carroll Park is like this really kind of ordinary park that's in the middle of Carroll Gardens but then once Smith Street comes in there and like takes over the park house and sets up all the chairs and um it kind of feels like it's just completely transformed into the super magical space um and uh I just remember like you know as all outdoor uh plays are are there it was we we're just, you know, at the whim and whimsy of like the 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 weather gods. Uh, so, you know, when it rains, it's it's a part of the play. You know, when it's when there's a helicopter, you know, God bless you if you're heard. You know, so. But there was this one. I just remember there was this one night when, um, you know, the play kind of started in uh, right before sunset, and then the sunset halfway through the play. And Kate Ross comes out and and starts this speech that Prospero has, I think, in Act Four, um, when Miranda and Ferdinand are getting married, or after they've been married, and the the <laughs> she gets to the line, "We are such stuff as dreams are made on," and it started to rain. It started to like sprinkle, and it was like. And I remember she took this like beat where she just kind of beheld the space um, in the in the light drizzle of the rain. And it was just the most gorgeous, the most like divine intervention of just this. It was gorgeous magic that happened that nobody plans for. Oh, I love that. I love when that kind of thing can happen. Yeah. You know, that's oh, amazing. Are there any other productions or projects that your company has or that you guys have coming down the pipeline that you might like to plug? Well, well it's in post-production right now, but we um, during the pandemic, um, we couldn't make theater, but we did make a documentary. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we actually, we, uh, we rented the Mark O'Donnell, the same theater we're working in now. And um, we got a bunch of actors together to, um, rehearse Hamlet. Uh, our working title is Hamlet Rehearsed. Um, so we are currently in post-production to build that documentary just to, I, I mean, you know, it's it, we weren't sure what it was going to be. We just knew that we wanted to get artists in the space and we wanted to have difficult conversations about this work, which is something that we love to do. But of course, 
we were also bringing in everything. I mean, I mean a lot of these people we hadn't seen in it for quite some time. And this was the first time a lot of us had even literally touched each other. You know, we all got tested and we all were very, very safe about it. Um, but it was also, there was all that fear um, and surrounded by a lot of death that was happening in the world. And then, so we're, wa- and we chose a play, we chose Hamlet to, because we thought it brought up a lot of themes about um, death, confusion, and, um, you know, literally to be or not to be. So uh, th- that's something that we're going to be working on. We hope will be coming out um, as a short film in uh, 2023. Well, if our listeners want to get more information about your show, uh, or they want to get more information about you, or they want to reach out to you guys, how can they do that? Yeah, Instagram is always a great vessel for conversation and discussion and uh pictures um where their smith street stage has a an instagram account i think it's just smith street stage um you can reach me at my handle which is r-a-q underscore c-h-a-v-e-z um and then i forget what yours is ba but Um, we're all yeah i'm i'm (laughs) on instagram too i'm at um also Smith Street. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's just the name of the company. Keep it simple. Um, but I'm at uh, B-A-L-O-U, L-O-U-H-W-O. Um, and that's me. So find me if you like. Uh, also, you know, I have my own uh, personal website as well, um, BethAnnHopkins.com. And uh, does Smith Street have a website or anything we can send people to? Yes, SmithStreetStage.org. And you'll find all the information about Measure for Measure on our Playing Now page. So that's where you get ticket information. Um, And just a reminder that this is an indoor production. (laughs) Do not go to the park, please. Uh, We are at the Mark O'Donnell Theater because it will happen. Somebody will go to the park. It happens every time. My guests today have been Raquel Chavez and Beth Ann Hopkins, who are the co-directors of Measure for Measure, uh, Smith Street Stage Productions Measure for Measure, which is playing September 28th through October 15th at the Mark O'Donnell Theater at the Entertainment Community Fund Arts Center. And that's at 160 Skirmerhorn Street in Brooklyn. You can get your tickets at eventbrite.com or if you want, you can get tickets and information at the Smith Street website, which is smithstreetstage.org we're going to have all that information including everyone's instagram handle and whatnot uh and the theater's information uh on the episode description as well as on our social media ladies thank you so much for joining me today this has been an absolute blast i'm so excited for your show um it sounds amazing so all the best with it thank you so much andrew thank you so much this was great So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez reminding you to turn off your cell phones, unwrap your candies, and keep your masks on. And keep talking about the theater in a stage whisper. Thank you. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Stage Whisper Pod. 
And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. Our theme song is Maniac by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Jazzar and Billy Murray. You can also become a patron of our show by logging on to patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. There you'll find all the information about our backstage pass. Thank you so much for your generosity. We could not do this show without you.